Hello, America. I'm Mark Levin, and this is a special holiday edition of Levin TV. Russia invades Ukraine. Russia's war against Ukraine. Russia's attempt to enslave the Ukrainian people. Russia's threat to use nukes against us. Putin, who's assassinating people around him. Putin, who is rounding up as many Russians as he possibly can who disagree with him. They're executing Russians in the battlefield who, who will not fight. They have enslaved some two million Ukrainians, including a quarter of a million children, and brought them into Russia, where they're doing slave labor. I don't understand the Putinoids in our country, including those on TV and radio and those in the Republican and Democrat Party. What is Ukraine supposed to do, surrender? Well, it's not going to surrender. And under Zelensky, who is a great hero, who's under attack constantly by the Putin voices in this country, they've held their ground and done more. I understand a debate over resources. That's a debate we can have. But a debate over right and wrong and good and evil, that's not a debate. And I'm just proud to say that on this program throughout the year, we've taken the right side of this battle. So take a look. Go. This is where freedom rings. If you believe in America, if you believe in the Constitution, the Constitution empowers us. It's a new day. America's back. America's back and America's going to get strong again. We're going to defend America and we're going to defend our interests. Liberty's Voice, Levin TV. Putin has a warning for us in the world. Uh, as he breaks the ceasefire in Ukraine and as they keep shelling these so-called evacuation routes because Putin's goal is to slaughter as many Ukrainians as possible in order to bring down the government. As I said the other day, he kind of takes the Biden irrational statement. Bottom up, middle out. That's how we grow the economy. Uh, stupid is as stupid does, Joe. Uh, nobody knows what that means. But in the military context, I can apply a rational label to this. Destroy as many people as you can, bottom up, forces the government out, and then middle out. I don't know what that means. All right, let's take a listen to what Putin has to say by ITV News. Go. The familiar rhythm of bombing in Irpin. This suburb of Kiev has seen a steady barrage of artillery and a never-ending... I, I want you to think of this, folks. Here's a foreign army in a sovereign country, utterly unprovoked, because the foreign army under Putin, his military machine, wants to annex their territory. And look what he's doing to them. I want you to look around you. I thought about this early this morning. You have a home, you have things in your home, precious things, things you've inherited of a personal nature that remind you of your family. You've acquired things that you've saved over the years. You have a comfortable chair, a tub, whatever it is. You have to leave it all. Whatever you can carry, that is it. And take your kids and grandkids, or if you're by yourself, take yourself and leave. You get a suitcase. That's it. And you were once free. You were once enjoying life. You were enjoying the times. And now look, look. Does this not look like the 1930s and 40s? Look what they've done. Look what they've done to this train station. They're just blowing everything they can up. It's easy to blow things up. It's hard to build things. The damage that's already been done to this country and its infrastructure is unimaginable. 
They're taking out cities. And on top of that, we're not getting numbers on the dead. Have you heard a number on the dead yet? I've not heard a number of how many people have been killed. You know why? They can't get in there to count them. But it's more than a few hundred, folks. It's probably thousands and thousands at this point. Go. People trying to escape. Its main bridge brought down by Ukrainians trying to prevent Russian forces entering the capital. As people here refuse to surrender the city. The fight, though, is exhausting. The planes were flying and I just covered my ears. Look at this poor lady. I mean, my God. Go ahead. It was so beautiful and now it's destroyed, she says. What are they trying to achieve? To bring us to our knees? Yes. As thousands flee, others prepare to fight. Ukraine's military released this video claiming to have shot down a Russian helicopter. 11 days into this war, as their country turns to rubble, they remain defiant. President Putin, though, warns he will not back down. If they continue to do what they are doing, they are calling into question the future of Ukrainian statehood. Excuse me. They do what they're doing. They're trying to protect themselves. That's it. They keep doing what they're doing. In other words, don't surrender and roll over to this fool. Go ahead. And if this happens, it will be entirely on their conscience. Exhausted and trying to escape. Southern routes out of Mariupol, though, are destroyed as ceasefires are not held. Across the world, though, there is continued support. People determined to show... They and let me ask you, this is good. Does Putin care about that? In his own country, he does. His rubber stamp Duma passed a law. You criticize the government, you will be arrested and imprisoned for eight years. Eight years. Vladimir Putin is a thug. He's a mass murderer. He's a power-hungry, typical Russian leader. It amazes me that we have people in our own country, uh, some who claim to be conservative Republicans, but then again, the lunatic left as well, who never criticize Putin. Instead, they criticize the United States like the Marxist left. I'm no fan of Joe Biden. He's a dithering buffoon. He's always been a dithering buffoon, even before he lost his mind. He never really had one. And yes, his acts of appeasement, uh, I believe also he's in many ways a Manchurian candidate, have weakened this country greatly. His decisions have weakened this country, whether Afghanistan or Iran, whether that pipeline originally in uh, Europe and allowing uh, Putin to pull out of a nuclear deal so he can modernize his, his nukes and all the rest of it and basically undermining the United States military by not providing them with funds to even cover inflation, have all led to this point. And that is the sanctions now that have been levied against Russia as of this moment, and uh, of what it means for the Putin regime, if anything. Go. I'm announcing the first tranche of sanctions. These sanctions are a major step. And we hold further sanctions at readiness to be deployed. The U.S. and its allies coordinated a first round of sanctions against Russia over its troop deployment to breakaway regions of Ukraine. They're hoping the financial pressure that the sanctions create in Russia will discourage uh, Moscow from going any further into eastern Ukraine or, or using his force to take over the country entirely. The sanctions are expected to have limited impact on Russia's economy, but Western governments say they send a strong signal. 
the U.S. blacklisted two major banks and banned the trade of any new sovereign debt. Let, let's, some... let's hold on. We could destroy their economy altogether. I don't understand this either. They're hoping it has an impact. What do you mean you're hoping? I mean, you got one foot in the water and one foot out the water. I, I don't get it. And then when Biden speaks out, he says, we're not going to war with Russia. Okay, great. Anything we're doing is defensive, not offensive. But we're doing things that are going to stop. Why are you apologizing? If you're trying to send a message to Putin, it's, don't worry, we're not going to do this, 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 this. But on the other hand, we are going to do this, 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 this. And we're hoping this will. He's watching this too. Like, what a joke. Go ahead. While some allies said they would sanction individuals connected to the breakaway regions and impose travel bans. Wow, travel bans. Wow, Putin and his oligarchs won't be able to travel where? To Key West, Florida? I mean, I don't really know. Oh, travel bans. Oh! That guy is pouring his army into another sovereign country. You think he's worried about travel bans? Was Mao worried about travel bans? Stalin, Hitler, travel bans? Go ahead. The political message that that sends to Moscow is, hey, you are going to be politically isolated from, from the global economy. All of these actions will also affect the price or the exchange rate of the ruble. But one penalty is sparking concerns for international energy markets. Germany's decision to put the Nord Stream 2 pipeline on hold, an $11 billion project that would bring natural gas directly from Russia to Europe. In dieser Phase ist es jetzt wichtig, neben ersten Sanktionen eine weitere Eskalation und damit eine Katastrophe zu verhindern. Darauf zielen alle unsere diplomatischen Anstrengungen. The U.S. had long called for the pipeline's opening to be halted, and Germany froze the project, even though it's the biggest buyer of Russian gas in the world. The European Union also relies on Russia, with about 40% of natural gas supplies coming from there. Cutting off future natural gas imports through the Nord, Nord Stream 2 project, that's already pushed natural gas prices up five times what they were last winter. That's a big cost. Hey, look, pal, if you want to be taken seriously, see that poster over your uh, left shoulder? You might want to remove it. That's number one. Number two, you could put an American Marxism poster up there. I understand they're available. And then uh, number three, um, the price of natural gas is going up. Imagine if we had our fossil industry working as it did before Biden became president, full throttle open. Uh, and we can produce even more and flood the world market. Imagine, imagine what an economic, geopolitical, and military tool that would be. Well, Biden took it away. Last week, he stopped as much drilling on federal land as possible. This guy makes no sense. He's pushed by this ideology, by these radicals, and, uh, and, and it doesn't even matter if it involves the American, uh, uh, our national security. This is what they'll do. Why wouldn't we take out Putin? I mean, if Putin's going to threaten us with nuclear weapons, if Putin is trying to destroy NATO, if Putin's in an alliance with Iran, which wants nuclear weapons, if Putin's in an alliance with Xi, which wants an economic military uh, superior uh, uh, position over the world, well, what's the problem? George Washington ordered snipers as such as they were back then during the Revolutionary War to take out the leaders of the uh, 
of the British military. We took out Yamamoto. He was a target. He was the, uh, the genius uh, admiral uh, with Japan. If we could have taken out Hitler, we would have. And I can go on and on and on. And so uh, I, I don't find this odd. Now, I say we take out. I don't mean the United States military or, the, or our intelligence agencies or so forth. But why wouldn't we encourage others to do it? Exactly what Putin is encouraging with uh, Zelensky. And uh, as I talked about before, Putin's taken out over 122 journalists, over 70 politicians and businessmen. He's a mass murderer. He's an assassin. And yet you can't talk about taking out Putin. Excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, it's like everything else. We should talk about everything that ought to be on the table. Now, who has been the loudest on radio and TV? I don't mean just as a generic matter. I mean, who's been the loudest on radio and TV pushing to get those MiG-29s to the Ukrainian pilots? Me. They were promised to the Ukrainian pilots. They know how to fly MiG-29s. They used to fly MiG-29s as part of the old Soviet Union. Well, now there's talk, actually, about trying to get them the MiG-29s. What's one of the problems? One of the problems, of course, is the slowness of the Biden administration. But also, as it turns out, some of these countries like Poland, of course, want to be able to defend themselves if they give their MiG-29s to the Ukrainians. And we need to protect ourselves as part of NATO with our F-16s. The problem is we don't have enough F-16s. Did you hear this, Mr. Bidoufer? Now, all of a sudden, we don't have enough F-16s? Well, shouldn't we immediately be muscling up our defense budget, given the challenges we now face with these fascistic uh, Putin, with the uh, communist Xi, with the Islamo-Nazi regime in Iran and what they're all up to? The access of evil, the new access of evil? Yes, we should. Does there seem to be an urgency to increase our defense budget? No, not even by so-called hawks. There ought to be an emergency spending bill. We have an emergency spending bill for the pandemic. Hello? There is no pandemic anymore. Well, you know, we got to keep pouring the money in. They blew, what was it? Tens of billions of dollars. They don't even know where it went. They know criminals got it. There's reports out there we don't read anymore. And they want hundreds of billions more. Wait. But we're not even applying it to the United States military. If we're running out of F-16s, that's not exactly the newest jet in the world. Uh, we have a problem. But we have other jets, newer jets. We don't have enough of them that are coming online. Some have already come online. But this is, when you look at the American military, you look at the American industrial might, the production of equipment, uh, including jets and tanks and so forth, there's no match. Certainly not yet. You look at the Russian army, a lot of their equipment's relatively old, as it turns out. They have a very small economy. Their economy is smaller than Texas. Their economy is smaller than California. You look at China. China's economy is about 80% the size of ours. They are on the move, and they're not messing around. So that's different there. Now, Carafanu, who was on with me on Fox, he made a brilliant point, a very important point. Not that we haven't noticed it, but he really gave substance to it. And that is, you can't really talk about Russia and China and Iran as individual countries. You can't bifurcate one from the other. They're working together. If one needs oil, another produces it for it. If one needs a financial market because Visa, Amex, and MasterCard pull out, another gives them their, their financial network and market, and on and on and on. And they are assisting each other. They're assisting each other. So there is an access going on.
I asked the question earlier. I've asked it here before. I've asked it on radio and I've asked it on Fox. Are the Ukrainians allowed to win? Are they allowed to win? Because the mindset of this administration is they just need enough to hold on. People are getting slaughtered, folks. 10% of the population has gotten up and is trying to leave the country, has left the country. Millions and millions of refugees. These cities are getting pounded, regardless of experts saying the Russians are in trouble. They may well be in trouble. I, I don't second guess that. What I'm saying, though, is people are losing their lives in the meantime. These cities are being destroyed in the meantime. Whether or not they can put in a replacement government, whether or not they can control the cities afterwards. Real damage is being done. So you give the Ukrainians what they need. Now, what would happen? Let's think this through. If Putin's back is against the wall, would he start shooting nukes? Well, what other options does he have? Declaring victory and getting the hell out. Or declaring victory and cutting some kind of peace. That's the other options he has. The man ultimately is a coward. He's an assassin. He's killed his way to the top, and those are other people's kids who are fighting. And he doesn't care. He doesn't care that he slaughters other people, whether they're Russians, Ukrainians, Syrians, Chechnyans, doesn't matter to him. He views himself as bigger than life. Ask him. He says he's Stalin, Catherine the Great, and on and on and on. That's the way he thinks. So lives are expendable, except for one, his. If he wanted to use nukes, he can use them already. He doesn't need any provocation from us, so-called provocation. But on the one hand, the idea that you send the MiGs, which our military says are not going to help them, but that that would, that would escalate matters and then trigger a nuclear war is so absurd on its face. It's not even, it's irrational. It can't be both, can it? And the answer is no. No, he's stuck. And now's the time to hammer the hell out of him with everything, everything the West has in a way that does not involve the United States directly with soldiers or a no-fly zone. So this can be done. Now, how do I know that? Because Reagan did it in Afghanistan. Did exactly this in Afghanistan. And not just Afghanistan. He pushed back against the Soviets in Angola. He pushed back against the Soviets in Nicaragua. He pushed back against the Soviets all over the world. In the Middle East, we gave our freedom fighters all over the world weaponry. He didn't worry about that. Look at Donald Trump. The Syrians were warned not to use gas on their people, and they did. Trump had warned them not to, but they did. Obama had warned them not to earlier, and they did, and, you know, he went golfing. Uh, and, of course, uh, Afterwards, uh, Putin invaded Crimea, and nothing happened after that either. He sent blankets and uh, foodstuffs to uh, Ukraine, I think. Okay, so that's how that reacted. What did Trump do? He fired missiles from our ships that hit the Syrian base. Who was controlling and running that Syrian base? The Russians. That act, triggered by Trump as a result of what the Syrians had done, killed up to 300 Russians on that base. Was that escalatory? No. It was a great deterrent. And Russia never challenged Trump. We have to help these people, ladies and gentlemen. This is what we Americans do. 
Over 80% of you agree with me. Don't listen to the Putin wing of the Republican Party, the Democrat Party, or in the media. They have no heart, they have no soul, and they have no sense. Clearly what's going on here is genocide. These are war atrocities. Sometimes we sit back and we say, how could this sort of thing happen in the 1930s and 40s? It's happening right now. And if China has its way, Taiwan is next. And if Iran has its way, the Jews are next. And we have to pay attention to this. We have to urge our politicians to get the Ukrainians the heavy weapons that they need, the heavy weapons that they need. Uh, and I'm very, very troubled by this, very concerned about this. They should have gotten a lot of these weapons before Putin invaded while they were gathering 200,000 of their soldiers on the border. Makes me wonder what we're doing with Taiwan right now. Are we arming up Taiwan? No. Well, we need to arm up Taiwan. We need to prepare to take out the, the nuclear systems that are being uh, well advanced and, uh, and, and built in Iran. We've got to prepare for what's taking place in this country. We didn't start this. We're not the imperialists. We're not the colonialists. That's exactly what's going on here. And if this isn't contained where it's happening right now, it will spread. It will spread. You know, it's interesting. We talk about Putin with his back against the wall, desperate. Will he use nukes? He's not going to use nukes because he's a coward. He doesn't want to be blown to smithereens. But all that said, you worried about this thing expanding? Then it needs to be contained. You worried about sending your kids to war? Then it needs to be contained. It's not going to be contained by diplomacy. It's not going to be contained by commentary on TV or columns in the newspapers. It has to be contained the hard way with military strength. And Ukrainians are willing to fight. They're willing to, to do what they have to do to survive as a people, a free people, a new democracy. This guy is a vicious, pathological psycho, Putin. And the idea that we have elements in our media that really defend him and defend what's going on and then wrap themselves in the idea that we don't want to drag America into a war. But he's dragging America into a war. Russia started a war in Europe. Obviously, it invaded Ukraine. It was intending to invade other countries. You better keep an eye on Poland. And you know, our friend Professor Paul Kengar, Grove City, wrote a piece today in the American Spectator that's worthy of comment here. And he's an expert on communism, particularly Russian communism, the Soviet Union. He's written several books. He's a brilliant man, a good friend. And Vladimir Putin yesterday gave his May 9th speech, May 9th when they assisted and we assisted in defeating the Nazis. And he goes on about how Ukraine is Nazified, which is so preposterous, it's idiotic, since the president of Ukraine is Jewish, the first lady's Jewish, the people voted him in, and he had uh, family members killed in the Holocaust. I mean, think about that. When you think about this, Stalin did the same thing. In fact, one of Stalin's lieutenants, Beria, you may have heard of him, was one of the major assassinators if you will, uh, he had Stalin assassinated because he feared Stalin was going to assassinate him. And that's what goes on, this, this repulsive, poisonous intrigue at the highest levels of the uh, Communist Party 
and the government. But in any event, this is what Putin's doing. And, and among other things, Putin also said that the United States and the West do not give Russia enough credit for helping to defeat Hitler. And as Kengor points out, this is a line these Russian dictators, murderers have used since the 1940s after the end of World War II. And of course, Russia was very important. But he points out Russia also unleashed Hitler. There was the Hitler-Stalin pact. And Poland was uh, invaded from the West and the East. From the West and the East. From the West with Germany, from the East with Russia. And he points out, so Stalin helped create the, uh, the Hitler military machine and supported it until, of course, Russia was attacked by the Third Reich. Uh, and very few people ever talk about this because they don't understand it. So I'm saying keep your eye on Poland. Poland has been very aggressively assisting Ukraine. Poland does not want another situation in which it is conquered by either the Marxists or the fascists. Um, and they're very concerned about it. And they should be. And they've been a, really the leaders, I would argue, the Poles and the Brits in taking on Russia and uh, Biden has been, uh, as I keep saying, a, dollar late, a day late and a dollar short. Uh, and those of you who say it's none of our business, I'm tired of explaining why it's our business. If you still believe that, then believe it. As if, uh, if we don't assist the Ukrainians and all of a sudden inflation will go down, the border will be secure, and uh, hamburgers will be available uh, galore. It's just not true. I find it interesting that the better the Ukrainians do and the worse the Russians are doing, the more outrageous the claims by the Putinoids in our media and in both political parties. And that is that Putin is going to use nuclear weapons. Maybe he will, maybe we, he won't. Maybe, maybe China will, maybe China will, maybe Pakistan will, maybe Pakistan won't. But my question to you is this, why hasn't he already? If he's going to use, what's he waiting for? Is he waiting for more of his military to get defeated, more of his men to be killed, more of his tanks to be destroyed? What's he waiting for? And I also notice that the Putinoids in this country, do they really believe what they're saying? Because they're not encouraging us to attack Iran, which is clearly building ICBMs with nuclear warheads, and nobody's stopping them. In fact, we're funding them. So if they're worried about nuclear war, why aren't they supporting the moderate Gulf Arab states and Israel, which want to attack Iran, and knock out their nuclear sites because they're phonies, that's why. They're isolationists, they're pacifists. They claim to be America first, but that's America last. Now take a look at this. This is the Ukraine road of death. It shows Russians fired on civilians. This is from the Wall Street Journal. They are slaughtering, slaughtering civilians, brutalizing them. I think one day when we see the numbers, we're going to be shaking our heads. And you remember who these Putinoids are in our media and in our political parties who said, do nothing. Do nothing. You remember when you see the carnage, just like after World War II. You remember who the pacifists, quote unquote, are. And they claim they don't support Putin. Well, then who do they support? America. No, they don't support America. Go. This March 3rd video shows civilian vehicles being fired on while fleeing the occupied Ukrainian village of Motijin. 
located outside of Kyiv between Motizhin and Yasna Haradka, a roughly four-mile stretch of road, served as a crucial but perilous escape route from incoming Russian forces. Local police said 37 civilians died here between late February and the end of March. The Wall Street Journal analyzed videos, photos, messages posted to social media, and weapon debris. We interviewed multiple people in the village and reviewed phone calls between residents. We didn't account for all of the deaths, but we found evidence from a few key incidents that give a window into how a four-mile stretch of road became one of the most blatant examples in the war of Russian soldiers attacking civilians attempting to flee. One man who made it through the road in March, Yuri Supernenko, recalled the horror. There are three main routes in and out of Motizhin. During the first week of the war, the two roads to the north became the site of many civilian killings as they tried to flee Russian forces pushing south. Many Motesian residents turned to a road running southeast toward the village of Yasnaharadka in hopes of getting to places free of Russian troops. But this southern route would become just as perilous throughout the month. The stretch of road closer to Yasnaharadka is where many civilians were attacked. On March 3rd, a caravan of three evacuating vehicles were fired on here. Weapons experts say that the two projectiles seen in these videos are likely mortar and appear from the left of the frame, indicating that they were likely shot from the northeast side of the road, just east of Motesian, which a driver in one of these vehicles confirmed. In April, we found debris on the same stretch of road that experts say is from an 82mm or 120mm mortar because of the shape of the tail fin and the markings seen here. These types of mortars can be fired from roughly two to five miles away. We found evidence of heavy Russian military activity in that range throughout the month. In a March 5th recording shared with the Wall Street Journal, Yuri Supernenko, who was still in Motesian at the time, called in a Russian firing location in this area to a member of the volunteer Ukrainian military. No, just to the west of the firing location Supernenko reported, we can see Russian vehicles in a drone video from late March. In a forested area just north of the Russian vehicles, in early April, the Wall Street Journal saw more evidence of Russian troops. A mass grave. Yes and military badges from the 37th Guards Motor Rifle Brigade. Residents also said Russian troops fired on cars from positions close to the road. The Russian embassy in Washington, D.C. didn't respond to requests for comment. The Kremlin has said previously it is not targeting civilians. On March 7th, a message posted in a Motesian telegram group warned of a roadblock. That same day, a civilian named Oleg Moskalenko, who was traveling towards Motesian, was taken captive at a checkpoint, according to his daughter. His car was left on the road. Rocks, likely used to block the road, are visible in videos filmed in the days that followed. 
Moskalenko's friends and family use the Find My Phone tool to track his phone. The last coordinates point to a line of trees along the road. Moskalenko's daughter said that he was questioned about being a member of the Ukrainian forces and beaten. He was eventually released by the Russians and is now recovering in a German hospital. We can still see Oleg's car on the road in a March 10th video filmed by evacuees. We also see another car abandoned nearby, suggesting more civilians were captured or fled. On March 16th, a news video shows a third car that's been abandoned, a damaged red station wagon with a white cloth tied to a side mirror and a sign in the windshield that reads children in Russian and Ukrainian. Near the vehicle, Ukrainian soldiers discover the dead body of a local man. Facebook messages reveal that a woman driving in the car was rescued and taken to the hospital with injuries. We were unable to determine whether she ultimately survived. What Yuri Supernenko describes in the March 17th video after his escape speaks to the lasting toll of Russian brutality on the road. That's just a little piece of what's going on. It's just, uh, I wonder about this Maripol. I mean, what, what must be going on there? What must have taken place there? And there are these reports. Uh, unfortunately, American media is not covering it well, but there's reports in Europe about the transport of thousands of Ukrainians into Russia. They're obviously going into these camps, perhaps slave labor, perhaps worse, who knows? Uh, by the thousands, by the thousands. I appear to be in a minority now, not with you, the American people, but in terms of conservative broadcasters on radio and TV, it's an amazing thing. The disdain, the dripping disdain that you hear from people who are otherwise fairly sound-minded and conservative about us supporting the Ukrainians. There was a big article the other day about the massive uh, war crimes that have taken place. The rapes are just unbelievable. And the Russians are known for this. Uh, they did it after World War II or during World War II also. But apparently they're raping women and children, both sexes. In these little towns they're taking over. Isn't it amazing how little reporting's been done on this? And they're torturing people and they're killing people and they're castrating men. They're doing all kinds of sickening things. And they're being encouraged to do it. Why? To dispirit the population in Ukraine. Ukraine now has a fighting chance when we help arm them and NATO helps arm them. What is it with these supporters of Russia? It, Ukraine's not pointing nuclear missiles at us in our cities. Ukraine's not threatening us. Ukraine was a sovereign country. And I find it amazing how they keep calling the government of Ukraine corrupt. The government of Ukraine has been independent for 21 years. It's done a pretty damn good job under the circumstances. It's under constant attack by the Russians, first in the eastern part of the country, now throughout the country. And they have all kinds of spies and assassins throughout the country trying to take out their leadership. 
I would dare say it's probably freer under the Ukrainian government than under the government of New York and California in some of these blue states, or many of our cities for that matter. But that aside, the propagandists for Putin, who I call Putinoids, because it rhymes with hemorrhoids, these bleeding Putinoids, fact of the matter is that you poor Ukraine is under constant attack and they have a nuclear power plant there that the Russians keep pounding. And now there's a potential massive concern about a massive nuclear event. Now, Americans are being warned, get out of Ukraine. That includes volunteers who are trying to help feed these people. Get out of Ukraine. Let's take a look at this. Cut four, go. Tonight, President Zelensky issuing an urgent warning to Ukrainians that especially brutal strikes could be coming from Russia in the coming hours. They're now in the early morning hours in Ukraine. Their Independence Day has begun. And tonight, the U.S. State Department urging Americans to leave Ukraine, sharing declassified intelligence with Ukraine. Our chief foreign correspondent, Ian Panel, back in key for us tonight. Tonight, President Zelensky issuing an ominous new warning to his people, saying Russia may be planning, quote, hideous provocations and brutal strikes as Ukraine prepares to celebrate Independence Day. And tonight, the U.S. again urging Americans to leave Ukraine amid that threat of intensified Russian attacks. State Department sources saying declassified intelligence shared with the Ukrainians shows the Kremlin may be preparing to launch strikes on highly populated areas. Ukraine's banning large gatherings during the event. ABC's Britt Klenert asking President Zelensky about the threat. What's your reason for urging people not to gather tomorrow? Is it because Kyiv is under threat? Amid these concerns over what Russia may do next, the United Nations holding an emergency meeting on the volatile situation at Ukraine's Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Ukraine saying Russian strikes damaged infrastructure and transformers, briefly cutting off power at Europe's largest nuclear plant. The Ukrainians also claiming Russians are shelling the plant's nearby ash pits, where nuclear waste is stored, raising clouds of toxic radioactive dust, stoking ongoing fears of a potential nuclear disaster. And so let's bring in Ian Panel tonight reporting from Kiev. And Ian, I want to get right back to the U.S. State Department again, urging Americans to leave Ukraine, saying it shared a declassified intelligence with Ukraine, suggesting that Russia might in fact be planning these strikes on Independence Day, which of course is in the hours ahead. Uh, President Zelensky, in your report there, obviously clearly very concerned about the, the real possibility of this. Yeah, that's right. In fact, Independence Day has just begun and this country is braced. But Zelensky also doubling down tonight. He's saying that they won't relent until they retake back parts of the country occupied by Russia, not just in the last six months, but for years, even Crimea. Forget any peace deal for now. This war looks set to drag on for a long time. Well, that's the situation. And I will continue to say this fellow Zelensky is a remarkable man, a remarkable leader, despite the attacks by the Putin wing of the media, Democrat and Republican parties, trashing the guy. One of the things that's really not known about Putin is how he has stolen wealth from his people. His people are relatively poor, with nowhere to go. It's the, it's a very poor economy. Its economy is no larger than Texas for an entire country of 170 million people. He pours an enormous amount of money into his military. 
um, which hasn't done what he hoped it would do. But he and his oligarch buddies have been ripping off the people left and right, and they're worth billions. Putin is said to be worth over $100 billion, potentially. And he's got the yachts to show for it, more than one. The longest, biggest, most expensive yacht in the world belongs to Vladimir Putin. Right now, it's sitting in Italy. Take a look at this. Go. This morning, investigators are looking into a super yacht that may or may not belong to President uh, Vladimir Putin. This comes as the U.S. and Europe actually... By the way, it does belong to Putin. He, he uses his, uh, his in intermediaries and his different uh, layers of uh, obfuscation. It's his boat. Go ahead. The assets and estates of Russian billionaires. Kelly Beeson is joining us with details. Kelly. Well, Adrian, U.S. officials say that super yacht that's stocked in Italy may be associated with Russian President Vladimir Putin. And what's more, he may even have direct control of the yacht through various shell companies. But now authorities are all over it. This is the superyacht named Scheherazade that could belong to Russian President Vladimir Putin. The $700 million, 459-foot vessel is docked on the Tuscan... Now let's think about that. I'll round it off. 500 feet. How long is a football field? 100 yards, right? It's 100 yards, a football field. 100 yards is 300 feet. So that's about one and a half times the size of a football field. Do I have that about right, Mr. Reducer? Now think about that. And look at the height of the thing, too. Go ahead. In coast of Italy, the New York Times now reporting Italian authorities are investigating. U.S. officials say Putin keeps all of his money with oligarchs, Russian billionaires with political ties. But now the U.S. has launched Operation Repo, a worldwide hunt to seize all their assets and freeze their money to pressure President Putin to stop the war. Repo will also work with other countries to investigate and prosecute oligarchs and anyone with ties to President Putin. Anyone with ties to Putin, Russia, China, Ukraine? It seems to me we need a special counsel to investigate Joe Biden. Go ahead. As for the super yacht in Italy, according to the New York Times, Scheherazade's captain says the Russian leader is not the owner and then Putin had never been on it. Yeah, right. Well, he wants to live, doesn't he? Go ahead. But the captain would not say who owns it. Now, the superyacht is said to have a helicopter landing pad, large pool, movie theater, several entertainment areas, and technology that can take down drones. Now, if that's your yacht, wouldn't you say, wait, whoa, whoa, that's my yacht, right? I want my yacht. Italy, you have my yacht. Give it back. It's not Putin's. I mean, it's almost a billion-dollar yacht, right? Nobody's done that yet. I wonder why. Could the United States defend itself against an attack from Russia? This was looked at a few years ago by the Washington Compost, what turned out to be a pretty good piece, and I wanted to share this with you. Go. Russian President Vladimir Putin says that he got nuclear weapons that are invincible. And that the nuclear arms race is back on, threatening to turn tensions with Washington into a new Cold War. We are in this environment where both Russia and the U.S. are introducing new weapons. To the American people, this administration's highest priority is your safety 
and security. The new nuclear policy came out uh, on February 2nd, and the Pentagon called for the introduction of two new types of nuclear weapon delivery systems, and mainly aimed uh, at Russia. Putin actually said that it was a response to that. So the question is, are we in this environment where we're back in an arms race in both the U.S. and Russia? Uh, duh. Are we in an arms race? I guess he's not familiar with a country called China. Russia, yes, but in terms of an arms race, it's even more China. And um, we didn't start this, but we have to win it. Go ahead. We're going to be trying to introduce new capabilities to pressure one another. The main thing that Putin said today that's important is that it's a cruise missile. It's not a ballistic missile. Um, and cruise missiles, they hug terrain and they, they travel very quickly. And, and so that makes it very hard for defenses to protect against them. The fact that Russia is putting new threatening cruise missiles um, into their arsenal uh, makes, makes it much harder, of course, for the U.S. to defend against them because we have very limited defenses against cruise missiles full stop, whether they're nuclear or not nuclear. And one of the things to keep in mind is that the genesis of U.S. missile defense systems was in the Cold War era. And the initial idea was that the U.S. could build some sort of giant shield that would protect. First of all, there were no missile defense systems until Ronald Reagan pushed the Strategic Defense Initiative, SDI, and he was mocked. They called it Star Wars by the same media and Democrats who mock Donald Trump. And thank God that Reagan pressed ahead. Um, look at Israel. They have their Iron Dome, which is a form of the Patriot Missile System. Ukraine wanted the Patriot Missile System. We didn't give it to them. We have Patriot Missile Systems in Europe, and we have Patriot Missile Systems in our own country that protect two cities. I can't tell you which ones, but two cities and only two cities. When we should have them all over the country protecting the country. That was Reagan's idea, that we have this whole basically um, defensive system so that the United States is as close to impenetrable as possible, whether they be nuclear missiles or other missiles. But of course, like so many other things, the politicians following uh, Reagan didn't follow through with it. So there's two cities, basically. Uh, we do have these systems. They are genius systems. It costs a lot to develop them. Uh, the Israelis have their system, and they took our system, and they actually refined it um, and have shared that technology with us. Go. Would protect uh, against all the Soviet missiles that might hit the U.S. homeland. That we could intercept and destroy strategic ballistic missiles before they reached our own soil or that of our allies. But after the collapse of the, the Soviet Union, the U.S. reoriented its missile defense program towards rogue actors such as Iran and North Korea, kind of giving up the idea that we would be able to protect the United States against, uh, or needed to protect the United States against a full-blown missile attack, and instead focusing our efforts on could we shoot down one, two, three, a handful of missiles that are coming from North Korea at the United States. Uh, Putin is, is saying that these new missiles that Russia is developing uh, would be able to penetrate U.S missile defenses, there's no way that U.S. missile defenses would be able to fend off a full-scale attack from Russia anyway. Russia has thousands uh, of missiles, including intercontinental ballistic missiles. They could launch more missiles than we have interceptors. The way we prevent uh, a full-blown confrontation like that with Russia is by having a nuclear deterrent. The sort of flip side of are we in a new arms race is 
what is the future of arms control? Are we going to be able to come up with a new agreement with Russia? Are we going to be able to build that trust and have the diplomatic power to get there? Um, and right now, there's, big, there's a big question mark over that. Well, there is. But again, it's not of our doing. It's what they're doing.